And as our children and worship friends make their way downstairs, I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll be looking at verses 6 through 10. And this will be our final sermon in the series on the seven deadly sins and the seven heavenly virtues. And just of, of a reminder of where we have been, we started week one with the sin of sloth, because if sloth reigns supreme, and there's no diligence, no virtue of diligence to, to change or to grow or to move forward, then nothing else on the list would change as our sign became gradually more sanctified and beautiful over time. Moving from sloth to diligence, then we went into um, looking at lust and desires that lead us astray and instead seeking the virtue of faithfulness, which starts with a trust in God's faithfulness. It's hard to avoid anger, knowing that there will be circumstances and reasons that will, will poke at our tempers and will make us angry. And yet we find patience to be the virtue by which we can step back, to take a deep breath, to relax our face, and to be prepared to re-engage with patience instead of defaulting our reactions out of anger. Pride goes before the fall, but humility is the virtue that protects us from our pride. Envy is the sin that not only makes us want what others have, but it also makes us wish that other people didn't have what they had. Gratitude is the antidote to the poison of envy, where with gratitude we celebrate with what God has given us, and we rejoice in our neighbor's giftedness and them as well. Last week, Nathan Longfield led us on the journey of, of observing gluttony and moving to moderation to be aware of, of what it is that we long for and to bring them into alignment with virtues that please God. And today, for the last day, we come to maybe the most obvious connection of greed and generosity. Greed, the sin that makes us want more, a very close cousin to envy, and generosity, the ability to give, to give faithfully and to give selflessly. And so as we finish today, as we read 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, I invite you to pray for God's blessing upon the word that the Holy Spirit may open the scriptures to us today. Let's pray. God, we come before you knowing that you are generous. You are generous with your love, which we see most clearly in the cross of Jesus Christ. You are generous in giving your life for us, not out of what we deserved or earned, but because your love is a generous love. Your love for us is generous in that you sent the prophets and the apostles before us and that you watched over your church through the ages. And your love is generous to us in that you give us the gift of your word that we may know you through it. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you come and illumine the word to us, open our hearts to receive a word from you this day. For you are generous and you enjoy giving us the good things in life. Most of all, the gift of your love. Help us to cherish this gift this morning. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. You can follow along in your Bibles and the words will also appear on the screen. But godliness with contentment is great gain 
For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So last night, there was a group of uh, 30 men from North Holland uh, who gathered at BAM for a couple games of bowling. And maybe when some of us signed up for the event, we didn't know that there would be prizes involved. Now, using this example, just to give a, a, a low threshold case example of, I want you to wonder who's greedy and who's generous in the story you're about to hear. One of the opening games, one of the competitions, was you had to write down the score that you thought you would get in your first round of bowling. So write down a number, and whoever was closest to the score that they guessed, they would get a gift card. Now, this was offered generously. I didn't know that this would be a part of the evening. Well, one person who is a little bit competitive, um, not me, but someone about my height, um, close to my age, with dark hair, um, um, his last name is Brower, um, <laughs> Luke, um, was, Luke wrote down a score and then got to that score on the dot with three or four frames left and then just started throwing gutter balls. Every time, because he got to his score, and the rule said, guess your score, whoever gets closest to it wins a gift card. There was nothing in the fine print that said you couldn't just achieve your score and then gutterball it after that. Is that greedy? You're making the conclusions on this. There's another player in the story. I won't say his name, but it rhymes with Snarls Glower or Luck Power, depending on how familiar you are. And he said that that didn't count. What Luke was doing was wrong. And that even though he got his score and then got the exact score out of it, he said it didn't count. Now... Is that greedy to withhold the gift when someone followed the rules? <laughs> ah, Chuck, it seems that you have an opinion on this. <laughs> there is a couple other things uh, along the way, and uh, um, I think if we do this again, which I think we will, it truly was a good time, I suspect that the rule sheet will be a lot more specific. Greed and generosity, though, we use, I use that as, as a lower stakes threshold of wondering, okay, when, when we want something, what are the lengths to which we will go to acquire it? 
And similarly, what are the lengths where maybe greed will hold us back from being generous? Greed can fuel us. It can be a motivator. But, but as we read 1 Timothy 6, greed as a motivator is poison to our soul, that it will lead us in all kinds of, of unhelpful paths if we're so fixed on acquiring something. Greed, that desire for acquisition. Greed will also make us less generous. And, and it's through practicing generosity that, that we overcome greed, both uh, by being generous with what we give. So freely you have received, so freely you shall give. And I, I use the example because I, I think we need to get some context on greed and generosity to know that it applies to all of us. Because I think the number one thing that's misleading about greed and generosity is that we want to project it onto other people. Any discussion about the sin of greed or the virtue of generosity or the need for that virtue, we want to project that onto other people. It's easy to just label the really rich and powerful, the, the bazillionaires, we'll call them. They are the greedy people in life, right? It's easy to label that those are the truly greedy people and that we can distance ourselves from greed. It's just the rich and powerful. They're greedy. They need to be more generous. Or maybe we read the passage in Luke 21 of the widow who gave her two coins and, and Jesus observing says she has given more than all the others because they all gave out of their wealth and abundance, but she gave out of what she had to live on. When we admit that we're probably not going to do that. To do what the woman in Luke 21 gave of giving her last two coins. When we admit that we're probably not going to do that, we disengage a little bit from gr that growth from greed to generosity altogether. Now, there are people throughout church history who have taken vows of poverty, who have said, all of it's gone, and I'm going to go live as a servant and trust that God will take care of me. It'd be the equivalent of not just going on a mission trip to another country, but while you're there saying, I'm just going to tear up my passport and not come home. When we know that that's not what we're going to do for reasons of it being not practical and a whole host of other reasons, we may disengage from generosity and settle for the fact that even if we're not the woman in Luke 21, that we can at least tell ourselves that we're not as greedy as those rich and powerful people that need to be more generous. And we can find contentment through comparison to others. In fact, against others. I'm not as wealthy as them and they need to be more generous, so I'm pretty generous for my level of wealth. And well, I might not be the widow from Luke 21, but we don't necessarily want to go there. When we go to either of those areas, when it turns into a game of comparison, we distance ourselves from the challenge or we project onto others what could be a challenge for ourselves. And instead of maybe starting small on how to be generous, we just don't start at all and settle for our contentment being made through comparisons to others. Their circumstances, our circumstances, but that's not where contentment is found in 1 Timothy 6 or anywhere in Scripture. Verse 6 of our text this morning tells us, Godliness with contentment is great 
gain. Godliness, the pursuit of holiness and righteousness, being in right relationship with Jesus, godliness with contentment is great gain. And this is in direct contrast to godliness as a means to financial gain in verse 5. And that's some of the bigger context of the book of Timothy in addressing false teachers who were kind of religious profiteers. They were prosperity gospel preachers. Or people who would say, if you follow all these right laws, you'll become rich, as if that was the end game of being a follower of God. But rather, all those other ways that we can find contentedness, godliness with contentment is great gain. Nothing about finances in that sentence, because the emphasis is that our contentment goes beyond finances or money. And it leads us to a few questions, as I think any of the virtues and vices will. What do you really need to be content? How much do you need to gain or acquire to be happy? How much money is enough? And to not ask that as some cynical, sinful question, but People who are trying to retire or save up or be responsible, how much money is enough when we look at the budget sheet? How much fame and admiration is enough? Beyond money, how much popularity will leave us satisfied? How many kudos and good jobs do we need to feel that we are valuable? How much affirmation and recognition is really enough? We can be greedy for all of those things too. And we can seek them out as their own end. All of them are appetites that will never be satisfied. Godliness with contentment is great gain in that it is to be satisfied. It is the one thing that is enough in and of itself to be in right relationship with Jesus. It requires Growth, but it does not have any sliding scale of better or worse or competing with our neighbors. It begins with Jesus being enough. And it echoes words that Jesus said, like, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things, all the other stuff of life, the wealth, the fame, the accolades, the popularity, eh, all these things will be added unto you as well but they'll always be in second place. Is Jesus enough? When Jesus is enough, we can take a step away from greed, away from the things that we think we need, and towards generosity. But that requires a good amount of self-awareness and spiritual discipline because it asks us to, to separate out from the way that we are probably most inclined to live, the normal way to live as human beings. A quote from Basil Pennington, a monk who was actually writing on the book of Galatians. The quote will appear on the screen just so you can see it and read it and let it sink in a little bit. Basil Pennington writes this. False self is an identity based on what you have, what you do, and what others think about you. In stark contrast to this is the true self in Christ, which is who we are before God and in God, Christ living in us, as Paul put it to the churches in Galatia. 
Looks like we got one little projection mix-up, so we'll see if the quote from Pennington comes up later. But what he's addressing, in recognition to greed and generosity, is that we want an identity based on what we have and what we do and what others think about us. And that we can't find contentedness just with being in Christ and celebrating that Christ is in us. Rather, the false identity is more of our norm. And it's not the way, it's, it's not the, way the world works to find contentedness just in Christ with nothing else needed or added to it. Verse 7 of our text this morning says, We brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. You've probably heard the phrase, you can't take it with you. It's a popular phrase. What I didn't know is that it was also the title of a 1938 Frank Capra film, You Can't Take It With You. But whether it's just a phrase that lives in our culture or popularized by a film in the 30s, it all started in 1 Timothy chapter 6 with this clear definition of you can't take it with you. You brought nothing into this world except yourself. And nothing that you acquire here will leave with you. Now that could be used as an excuse to do whatever you want with your wealth. To spend recklessly, like, like the, the, the younger son in the story of the prodigal son. However, in the context of 1 Timothy, in the context of the Gospels, in James, and all throughout Scripture, to be told that we brought nothing into this world and that we can't take anything with us is not a license to be reckless, but rather it's a call and a reminder to use our wealth for endeavors that are more valuable than our pleasure and longer-lasting than our lifetimes. In Ecclesiastes, we find a personal testimony of someone who experienced pleasure and used money to, to feed all kinds of enjoyment, acquired more wealth than anyone around, was more fancy and extravagant than anyone else to be found. And in the end, the conclusion of Ecclesiastes is that such a life is also meaningless, that it has no lasting value what is of lasting value is being in right relationship with Christ. And, and what has some lasting value, at least a longer lasting value than us, is our memory and legacy. What do you want to leave behind? Knowing that you can't take any of your stuff with you still means that you'll leave some stuff behind. But beyond the stuff of anyone who is older and wiser and spiritually mature. It's not the stuff, but the memory that you know will last longer. I don't think anyone wants to leave a legacy of greed or to be remembered as being selfish. But rather, true generosity will plant a seed that will go beyond us. A quote that I appreciate greatly um, and you can find it in many different settings, put in artwork, but the quote is this, simply the words, the true meaning of life is to plant trees under whose shade you do not expect to sit. The true meaning of life is to plant trees under whose shade you do not expect to sit. Meaning you are going to give to something 
that goes beyond you. And, and that it's not the amount of money that we spend, but it might be the way in which we do it. We can spend a lot of money for things that really are just to benefit us. But, but generosity as a virtue calls us to bless others. And that that is where we find more contentment is not in our ability to acquire, but in our call to bless. Now, just a financial reality that our church is in, two weeks ago we heard a report of tremendous generosity and contribution towards that space down there. Now granted, we all benefit from the space. As it's been said, we wouldn't want to go back. We wouldn't want to just, you know, cut, copy, and paste and move it off of our site. We enjoy it. We do benefit from it. But some of my favorite words that I have ever heard from people in this church happened in the planning of that. One couple in particular when they saw how everything was uh, going to be laid out. And when we weren't sure what we were going to do, we had maybe broken this up into sections or phases. And in a moment of hilarious honesty, I was told, Pastor Stephen, our church only does a building project every 30 years. If we wait to do the other half in 30 years, we'll be dead before it happens. Brutal honesty. And in some ways, we could say, well, they just want to benefit from it. But that wasn't the whole story. The rest of the story was this. This is a space that needs to be used sooner than later. So let's do it now. We are all in. The generosity, as opposed to greed, was that there wasn't any conversation about who else was on board or what they would give or in comparison or contrast to anyone else, but to say, we see a value in this, we're getting older, not younger, and we want to see this come into being. And so we are all in. To hear things said such as, this is a gift to the next generation of the church, and to hear that from someone who doesn't have kids or grandkids at this church, that it's just the next generation of the family of God, not any personal or family benefit some of the most astounding examples of generosity behind the scenes happen with no call for attention, with no desire for accolades or, or recognition of generosity, but just a simple gift given in hope that it will benefit others. Verse 8 of 1 Timothy 6 says, If we have food and clothing... We will be content with that. To say we have food and clothing, we've got our basic needs met. We're warm, we have food, we have shelter. Our basic needs are met, so everything else that we have is to be generous with. And you have what you need, you can be generous. There is a different version of contentedness that has no desire for acquisition, but a simple desire to bless and to give. There's a pretty dire warning in this text about how greed can warp our hearts and, and, and destroy us. Those who want to get rich, not those who are rich, but those who want to get rich, as if that's the singular goal. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. 
Meaning if your goal is simply acquisition, it's going to be your undoing. How will you treat people along the way? If you're an employer, how would you treat your employees if acquisition and greed is the only goal in life? Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So when we hear greed and generosity, this this isn't some secret coercive message to, to make people give everything they have away, but it is God's best intent for us to not be pierced with many griefs, but rather to find contentedness in God and in the call to give and to bless, rather just than in the acquisition or the greed of growing wealth or popularity. Is Jesus enough? Is food and clothing enough? Are we recognized enough that we don't have to try to earn respect or admiration from those around us? Because if that's what we're greedy for, if that's what we crave, then we will build a false self. It's not really us. It's a shadow of who we are meant to be. Love. God's love for us is generous. And what you love is not just a feeling. Love is an active pursuit. And if love, if you pursue what you love, how will that go for you? If we love money, we'll pursue it with little concern for anything else. If we love God, it will change the way we live because that is what we will actively pursue. If we can say, I have what I need, so I'll be generous, that's a good thing. But also to not condition ourselves away. If we don't start small, we will never start at all. Because the other thing that prevents us from being generous is this. I'll be generous once this happens. I'll be generous once this is paid off. I'll be generous once I get that raise. I'll be generous once I get that promotion. I'll be generous once I inherit that. If we condition our generosity on when something else happens, then we will learn to be generous. It will never happen. If we don't start small, we will never start at all. If we don't start with the practice of of giving something, either time or talent or treasure, we won't learn or build any momentum. We won't wake up one day in spiritual perfection without any discipline. Similarly, if we don't practice affirming other people, we'll never find the right words to show appreciation. The most impoverished relationships are those where people are greedy with words of appreciation. The most impoverished relationships are those where people are greedy with words of appreciation. Where do you want to start? Where would you start small? With one thing to give, one task to do for someone else, not for yourself. What's a word of affirmation or encouragement that you could offer, even if it might feel a little bit weird or foreign, 
If it does seem a little bit strange, that's probably an indicator that it's a really good starting point because it's stepping from what's normal to us into a growth of what is not yet normal. Start small or don't start at all and find generosity will in fact feel good. It's fun to be generous with our time, with our talents, with our treasures, And it does feel good, but the feel good is a byproduct. It's not the source or the primary goal that we have. Our primary goal is to imitate Jesus, who was generous with the time he spent with people. He was generous with what was given, and he was generous with love. Friends, we are called to be people like Jesus. Find your area to start small in generosity. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray together. God, we come to you knowing that we are truly blessed. We could compare ourselves to the blessings of others. We could be greedy or envious of what others have. But help us simply in our hearts by your Holy Spirit to make us grateful for what we have, that we can find where to be generous and fulfill the call to be a blessing to the world. Help us to do this in sincerity and love, not for recognition, not for affirmation, but simply because we love others because you first loved us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.